Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I think after all these years of sharing our friendship and our conversations on the podcast, I bet we still surprise one another. I know sometimes we're still learning new things about one another. And also our listeners are being surprised, learning new things. And today will be a oh, a new, a bit topsy-turvy of the usual Lisa Joe Christie dynamic. And it's this. So you have already told me the book you're bringing, the book friend you're bringing <laughs> to the table today for our conversation. And I bet our listeners are used to thinking of you as the movie person and me as the book person. But today we have a friend where you have read the book, but I have only seen the movie. I'm shocked shocked and scandalized right now. (laughs) Like I'm actually horrified, right? Are you I I, I don't have words for this. Because this is like a third that's like everybody has read these books. And I would think you especially. (laughs) What? I know. Well, the truth is, even before we, we, uh, we, yeah, we let the cat out of the bag and tell our listeners who we're talking about. The truth is, I really didn't. Oh, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. I really did not read these books as a kid. <gasps> I know. <gasps> so I, I have since to say. then rectified that, read several, um, done the audiobooks with my own kids, seen some of the films. So, um, but yeah, I don't know why they just weren't handed to me as a kid I don't know Just, I, I, don't I mean know. I honestly feel like our friendship is going through a tsunami right now like this is not <laughs> what I expected from this conversation dear listeners here's why be shocked with me shocked and appalled the author that we're going to talk about today is like one of the most beloved children's authors of all time Mr. Roald Dahl who we all love deeply and he has all of these children's books and adult books he's written too and the book we're going to speak about today so you can just know you're tracking with us is it's honestly one of the very first books I ever read as a child like a book Mm -hmm. that wasn't a picture book and it is his beloved fantastic Mr. Fox which I love so much and I have it's one of the first books No, let me think about this. It is the first book I ever reread too. Like I read it and then I reread it multiple times. I have read it so many times and I, I just, I don't even know what to say about the fact that you haven't read this book. Well, I'm really intrigued to hear as we start talking about it more about, yeah, what it was in particular that captured you, why you wanted to revisit these friends, because... So, again, I'm going to shock you, shock and horrify you. I would not have predicted, if I didn't already know you and I didn't already know your love for Roald Dahl, I wouldn't have predicted it because there's some 
scary, weird people <laughs> in his yes. books. And it's intense at times. Yes. So I, here's a little story. I did not read Matilda as a kid. I have since read it. I, I love that book. But my first introduction to his character, Matilda, his book, N- Matilda, was when I went to see the Danny DeVito movie in high school with two of my best friends who had loved that book as girls, and I just had never read it. So I went to see this movie with them. You know, it's a children's movie, more or less, and I was at this time probably 17, and I remember being so scared in that movie. <laughs> And so horrified by the plotline. By the end, I loved it, but it was a very intense film experience. And I was someone who, at that time, you know, I had seen plenty of intense movies. I did not expect the Roald Dahl children's classic to have me like cowering in my seat, <laughs> oh, like afraid. No. Now I have to see the cry in public because I haven't read Matilda for those very reasons. That's so uh, funny. <laughs> okay, now it makes sense. It all so, it makes sense. <laughs> the thing about Roald Dahl, if you're not familiar with him, he is kind of on a I would say a sliding scale where on the one end it's kind of just cheeky and quirky and where the the children are pretty strong characters who often subvert what the adults are trying to do or the because the adults often are not caretakers. They're creepy and mean and they can't be trusted. So he's kind of the sliding scale is on the one end. It's a little bit cheeky, but on the other end, all the way, I guess I'd say like up three quarters of the way, you get really freaky, creepy adults and children. And then if you slide it all the way to the end, you get his adult fiction, which I think I've talked to you about and you hadn't read at the time, but his adult fiction is very creepy, like very weird kind of ghost story meets supernatural meets, you know, justice served in very subverted, weird ways. But I think as a child, I've always loved him because you get the sense in his writing, he is always rooting for either the child or the underdog, always. And I think growing up, that's who I was in my own family. And so there's something about Dahl and how he understands children and how he clearly understands that there is good and evil in the world. But my mom is the one who introduced me to him. So as we've talked about before, my mom is my book Sherpa and Guide. She would always introduce me to books. She had this magical bookcase and I would look at her books and she'd always tell me, you're not ready for that one yet or you're ready for this one. And Fantastic Mr. Fox was one of the very first books she ever introduced me to. Hmm. Wow. I So yeah, I've only seen the film. I don't know, actually, how closely it follows the book, but that's okay because I don't remember the film super well in its plot points, so I I think it won't be a problem. For those who don't know, the film is by, it's a Wes Anderson sort of animated film, and Wes Anderson is famously weird and quirky and has this unique visual style, and I like a lot of his movies. Some of them are just too weird, but (laughs) I I like... um, there's actually, uh, I think there's a hashtag on Instagram that is something like, someone will capture, a, a, they'll take a photo of something and they'll say something, the hashtag is something like accidental Wes Anderson movie. Because <laughs> and then you look at the photo, you're like, oh yeah, that because he has such a distinctive yes. <laughs> visual style. So I did really love the film for that reason. But maybe now, maybe you will convince me to go back and, and read the book. Maybe even, 
So I've been looking for, um, I love a good summer read aloud with my kids. I do often have to force them to participate with me, (laughs) but Elsa is still young enough that she'll, you know, cuddle up with me. So I've been looking for a summer read aloud with Elsa. So maybe, maybe Roald Dahl will, will be the friend. This is a good one for many different reasons. I will say that most people have probably seen the movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox. George Clooney voices the fox. Yes, yes. It, it is really, I will say the movie catches the ethos of the book, this charming father figure, this family that's trying to survive. It's a story about three farmers who live in luxury, landowners, and hoard all this food and drink, and these animals who are starving and trying to get access to these storehouses. And... The great thing about Fantastic Mr. Fox is on that sliding scale of weirdness, his is this book is all the way at the benign end. Mm. So the only weird or creepy characters are these farmers, but they're only creepy in as much as children love hearing, you know, how children like fart stories or booger stories or yeah. whatever. <laughs> you know, they're gross. These farmers are gross more than they are evil. And so it's their grossness that's highlighted. It's this caricature, how they stuff ducks with chickens and stuff the chickens with something else and they gorge themselves. And one of the farmers just lives on ale that he produces himself and he glugs it down. And so it really is kind of the grossness of many things. Dahl, you know, famously had a lot of social commentary in his writing. So he was a huge lover of nature and he had problems with the industrial world that was coming and eating up the countryside in England. And so you really get that feeling with this book. But the hero of the story, Mr. Fox, the reason they call him fantastic is his wife calls him that. Like she loves him and his children idolize him. But he also thinks he's all that, which is Uh. why he's kind of perfectly voiced by George Clooney. He is this suave, like I imagine him like a 1920s type character, you know, with the fedora. And he's really got this film noir vibe of this dad who can do anything and be anything and who's kind of always thinking outside of the box. He's always got some scheme up his arm to try and provide for his family. And I think, but he's also unpredictable. You're never quite sure what he's going to do. He might endanger you because he's trying some new scheme out. And I really think for me, there was a lot of my own father in this character. There was the sense of a dad who can be trusted and he's going to provide for you, but also he might risk your life in trying to do it. Like there's, he's a little <laughs> bit on the knife's edge. And, and so there's something about him that is safe, but a little scary at the same time. And not scary as in he's trying to scare you or he is going to harm his own children, but he's risking. He's a high-risk father figure who's prepared to, you know, go all in to provide for his family. And there's this great uh, limerick from when we were children. I'm sure you're familiar with it. There was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. Mm -hmm. And when she was good, she was really, really good. And when she was not, she was horrid. Horrid. He's a little (laughs) bit like that. Like, he's so charming and delightful. But also, like, there are moments where you're like, ooh, like... Did he just do that? Is that okay? Which is a lot like my own father growing up. So I think there was definitely in reading it a sense of, oh, like this is my dad in an animal character dialed up to extreme heroism 
when his family's under threat and he's going to provide for them. And there was something mysterious and exciting about it. And I will say the fox is a little bit romantic too. Like there's something about him that he's the swashing, debonair, piratey type too. He kind of plays on all of those tropes that probably like as an 11 or 12 year old girl just really hit a spot where it was the perfect first book. Yeah, he, Mr. F- you are captivated by fantastic yes, Mr. Fox. Well, in every way. This is good because we've just, I mean, here it is, it's still June, just barely, and we've just celebrated Father's Day. And Lisa Joe, I just had, I'm just coming off a great week um, of reuniting with my own dad, well, both of my parents, my mom and my dad, who I had not seen. And of course, this is something we have in common where we live far from family, we don't get to see our family nearly enough. But of course, I still live in the same country as my parents, but they're so far away. And then throw in this pandemic, and I had not seen my parents in more than two years. And um, they spent the last week with us. So it was a reunion with both of my parents. We celebrated my birthday. We celebrated my son Thad's birthday because we share a birthday. And um, so, yeah, it, it's been a couple of weeks now in here at Maplehurst, and I know in many homes of just, yeah, thinking about fatherhood, celebrating fatherhood. I'm just, I think as we sit down in this conversation, really, really grateful to have had this past week and for my dad and I to um, have a chance to lean into all the things we have in common because we're actually a lot alike. So I know last week we talked about my new book that's going to be coming out called Garden Maker. Well, friends, here you go. The only reason I'm a gardener, the only reason I'm, I've written this book called Garden Maker is because my father was a gardener before me. I mean, it it goes back to him absolutely because it was growing up in the garden that he made. And I write about that in the book. And he would point to his grandmother. It was his grandmother who grew these beautiful scented irises that were so, you know, he was growing up on a farm where Everybody's growing things, but it's very, you know, it's productive. And there, his grandmother had these flowers she was caring for and, and just what an impression that made on him. So he um, left the farm but became a gardener. Um, and I grew up in his garden and now I'm a gardener. So this past week, um, I had all these plans about things we could do and, you know, things, you know, go visit this, that, and the other. And we did a little bit of that, but here's what we mostly did. <laughs> and I have to say, it's totally dad led. I did not ask (laughs) and I did not insist, but my dad spent most of his time while he was here out working in my yard. And so, you know, that big circle we have that's, that's now in the middle of our our driveway. Like when you drive up to the house, there's like that big circle and we have plans for it. We've planted some trees there, but essentially it's just this big, enormous weed patch. And so I had ordered plants to plant out there this year, but um, we had a lot to a lot of gardening to do this year, and that kind of got pushed to the bottom, and then the weeds were just taking over, and it was such a mess, and I had started tackling it before my dad arrived, but had only made a little bit of progress, so when he got here and I was telling him about it, he could immediately see, ooh, <laughs> yes, and he, I think he just wanted to dig in, and that's something he and I have in common, it's just that, mm. I don't know, that satisfaction of seeing of seeing a gardening task and just wanting to to do it and to bring 
order to chaos, you know? And like, it was like he and I couldn't stop this week. Um, we would have these plans, like we're going to go here, we're going to go out to lunch and we'd have to, um, you know, my mom and others would be like reminding us like, okay, okay, come on in, take a shower. It's time to go. And we'd be <laughs> out there like grubbing in the dirt. So it was really good. Yeah. To have that time together and to realize, because we're different, we're very different people. But when we're together, it's that, that thing that we have in common <laughs> that really, yeah, it was just really good to to have that, yeah, that shared experience. And also, I have to say, I'm looking at my window right now. We didn't quite finish. We almost finished, but it's looking really good out there. Oh. And now I know every time I look at that circle, well, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be motivated to weed it and care for it because my dad, like, put so much time into it. And when it looks good, it's going to be a real testament to my dad as a gardener and what he's passed on to me. So I can't wait super to grateful. see it. I'll be there next week. I can't wait to see it. I well, know. it's actually yeah. my dad's birthday tomorrow. So oh, I'm thinking wow. about him a lot too. And it's interesting because I have been doing some work on a book and my dad's a main character and I've been doing a lot of research on our family. And it's funny when you go back and trace your people, you know, yours have gardeners and farmers and my dad's people. I've often thought my dad isn't really suited to like 21st century living. Like I feel like <laughs> he needed to be a pioneer or lead an army or something like that. And actually, we are descended from the Earl of Stradbroke in England and his second son went on to be an admiral in Admiral Nelson's Navy in the Great British Navy. And actually, he missed the Battle of Waterloo by one week because he had been injured in an earlier battle that they'd been fighting in. Oh, wow. So these are the people that my father is descended from. And so when I look at characters like Fantastic Mr. Fox, clearly he is dad who isn't just domestic. He is in providing, you know, for his family, he's always looking at sort of revolutionary ways to do it. And there's something about that that I think just resonates so deeply with my understanding of fatherhood and what a dad does. And, but I'll tell you back to the summer read aloud, it is a perfect book to read aloud because as you and I know, Dahl famously uses language in interesting ways. He loves oh, to incorporate yeah. rhyme and rhythm and meter into his writing. And it's funny, like to this day, when I think about this book, I can recite the little, it's not a, quite a limerick, um, but it has, well, I guess it is a limerick. It's not a haiku is what I was thinking, but it is a limerick about these three farmers that the book opens with and is repeated throughout the book. So I have to read it to kind of get us in the mood of this book. So there are these three farmers, Farmer Bogus, Farmer Bunce, and Farmer Bean are their names, of course. Oh, he's just so outstanding <laughs> at setting the scene with names. And he says here, he, he describes them that Bean was a turkey and apple farmer. He kept thousands of turkeys in an orchard full of apples. He never ate any food at all. Instead, he drank gallons of strong cider, which he made from the apples in his orchard. He was thin as a pencil and the cleverest of them all. Bogus was a chicken farmer. He kept thousands of chickens. He was enormously fat. This was because he ate three boiled chickens smothered with dumplings every day for breakfast, lunch, and supper. 
Bunce was a duck and goose farmer. He kept thousands of duck and geese, and he was a kind of pot-bellied dwarf. He was so short, his chin would have been underwater in the shallow end of a swimming pool. His food was donuts and goose livers. He mashed the livers into a disgusting paste and then stuffed the paste into the donuts. This diet gave him a tummy ache and a beastly temper. And then he has this little poem about them. Bogus and bunts and bean, one fat, one short, one lean. These horrible crooks, so different in looks, were nonetheless equally mean. <laughs> Isn't that great? And then I'll read the opening introduction to the book because I was doing a bit of research on it. And it talks about how Dahl loved the countryside. And I guess where they grew up. There is this particular area where he grew up that had in the countryside this really large tree, which I thought you would appreciate this, Christy. And it was a local tree, and it was known by the kids locally growing up as the witch's tree. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And it sat on the lane near the doll home, and it actually came to inspire this story about Fantastic Mr. Fox, the tree. And as we all know, Christy is a lover of trees, (laughs) and we know that trees are great roots for stories. Lots of stories grow out of trees. Um, But this is what it says about the opening of the book. It says, On a hill above the valley there was a wood. In the wood there was a huge tree. Under the tree, there was a hole, and in the hole lived Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox and their four small foxes. Every evening, as soon as it got dark, Mr. Fox would say to Mrs. Fox, Well, my darling, what shall it be this time? A plump chicken from Bogus, a duck or a goose from Bunce, or a nice turkey from Bean? And when Mrs. Fox had told him what she wanted, Mr. Fox would creep down into the valley in the darkness of the night and help himself. Bogus and Bunsen Bean knew very well what was going on. It made them wild with rage. They were not men who liked to give anything away. Less still did they like anything to be stolen from them. So every night, each of them would take his shotgun and hide in a dark place somewhere on his own farm, hoping to catch the robber. But Mr. Fox was too clever for them. He always approached a farm with the wind blowing in his face. And it's like this wonderful standoff between these characters. And I'll tell you from something as simple as language, how Mr. Fox always calls Mrs. Fox my darling and his little foxes my darlings. That is the verbiage my father always used with us. To this day, if my dad phones me or I phone him, he answers the phone. Oh, my darling. Hello. And so (laughs) there really is this sense of connection to this character who's trying to outwit the forces of greed and evil to provide for his family. And and it's funny how books can do that. And I would just, if you're listening and you're trying to think of something for your kids to read this summer, like really from tweens to teens, this is a wonderful book for them to read alone or for you to read aloud, Christy, with yours, because it really unpacks a lot of really interesting conversations about family, about heroism, about courage, about greed, about hoarding and not wanting to share, and about consequences that come from that behavior. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It sounds like a story about generosity. I mean, I'm thinking about like the, the, those biblical stories and biblical mandates where God wanted his people to, like, if they were farmers to harvest in a certain way so that they weren't farming all the way, they weren't harvesting all the way to the edges and that people were allowed to sort of take the leftovers or the extras. That sense of like, of just sharing, (laughs) you know, that's a, that, that's in our, um, 
our hair, you know, our faith heritage. And this it sounds really familiar, like these greedy, greedy farmers who are, you know, stuffing themselves with like the fruit of the land and won't even share with one little fox family. Although I have to say, as someone who keeps chickens <laughs> and has foxes. <laughs> I know. And as you've, you've talked about before, the great weasel epidemic that you had right. where they slaughtered 12 of your ducks right. or something. There have been some massacres at Maplehurst. And actually, just this week, again, with my parents visiting, one um, evening, I love June evenings when, you know, this is a time of year where we just have the most daylight and and the evening just lingers. And so, um, as the moon was coming up one night, my mom and I went and sat up at the top of this sort of bank, this hill that we have in the, the backyard where we have some chairs now. And so, we were sitting there really in the dark, although it was still just sort of you know, dusk. And we're sitting there, my mom's talking. And then all of a sudden, not, I mean, I want to say maybe, maybe six, maybe eight feet away. So, you know, think about the length of a person plus a little bit, about eight feet away, maybe less actually. So my mom's talking and all of a sudden I just grabbed her arm. I was like, mom, look. And there was a fox right there. And so it came up the side of the hill and obviously didn't expect that we would be sitting there. And then it saw us and and there is that moment, which has happened every time I've seen a fox up close, where it just stops. It doesn't dart off. It's not like, so we also have groundhogs on our property. Another okay. story there. <laughs> groundhogs startle. They're just like the, I think they're such cowards. They just, as soon as they see you, they're like waddling off as fast as they can. But the foxes never do that. The fox stops and just stares you down. Like just wow. stares, like, like looks in your eye. <laughs> and so in that moment, even though I've never heard a story of a fox attacking someone, Always in that moment, I feel so afraid because I don't know what that fox is about to do. And so the fox just stared us down. Like for the, like, I want to say like five seconds, we're just staring eye to eye with this fox. (laughs) And then, and then she just ran off. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's so interesting. Foxes do kind of have a magical vibe about them more than like jackals or coyotes or wolves. Maybe it's because they're really beautiful too. Just the coloring Mm -hmm. on foxes is sort of romantic and, um, and then this story really is about a dad who has, he ends up having a very difficult run-in with these farmers who are determined then to dig him and his family out. But, you know, his bravado and cheek with these farmers now ends up costing his community because these farmers are now determined to dig these foxes out. As you can imagine, it affects everybody else who lives underground. So all these other animal families are impacted by this reckless choice of the dad fox, who now has to figure out a way not just to save his own family, but to save the community. So I love that about Dahl too, his understanding about community, that he does have the sense about everything is connected to in nature. And so how, you know, what one fox does affects the mole family and the vole family and the badger family and the weasel family. Like they're all affected now by what he's done. And I remember my dad is such an interesting character. The feuds he has had with his neighbors that live in our, we (laughs) share a driveway. I don't even understand it. And they vacillate from being like such close friends to, you know, out there yelling at each other. (laughs) Just find it all to be the most interesting behavior because they're trying to all make homes there and they're trying to provide for their families. And it's this constant tension between, is it my family over your family? Is it my family at the expense of your family? Or is it our families together 
trying to figure out how to utilize this property in a way that is, you know, meaningful and fruitful for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something you guys think about a lot, too, with Maplehurst and sort of the stewarding of it as an island there in the middle of suburbia, but offering something to a community. Mm -hmm. It's true. And yeah, I think about, write about, talk about neighboring a lot. (laughs) And yet it's, I mean, it's not easy or inevitable, um, especially where we have that fatherly or parental protectiveness or, mm-hmm. you know, where we want what's best for our kids. And so, yeah, we've had some recent, I'll say, conversations with neighbors about um, how our kids are playing together or, you know, another big one for us that's sort of ongoing <laughs> are trees, like caring for trees. So, Recently, we've had a few times this has happened where a tree that's sort of on the neighboring property falls in, falls into our yard, like a storm takes it down. And then, you know, the conversations around cleaning up the, this tree, I've, there's, um, and, and there's a difference here for us in that some of, some of the neighbors we have are, are I'll say, real neighbors. So that mm-hmm. their house is next to ours. We see them. We talk to them. And so that is, those are really good relationships. And I won't always say easy because sometimes mm-hmm. there are things to negotiate or work out. But those, but they're real. They're real right. relationships. Right. And then there's a portion of our property um, where it's, it's land that's held in common by the surrounding housing development. And so... Um, it's sort of owned in common by everyone and they can't build on it because there's some sort of easement there. So it's, um, it just sort of looks kind of wild and, but no one actually, not one person lives on it. And when there's a question about caring for that or a question of a, you know, something that needs to be done there, it has been really difficult to, for, for John and I to have those conversations because there's no, neighbor there. You know, we're having a sort of conversation with a manager who's representative more of a group. And and so, there isn't that personal, you know, uh, relationship that like, there can't really be a relationship because how do you have a relationship with a committee, you know, right, <laughs> um, more or less. And so, I've been really struck by that contrast. And, and it's also been good for me to remember that as hard as interpersonal things can be when we live alongside one another. When we're connected, we're all pretty motivated to work it out, usually, right. or, we, or we can be. And as long as we're willing to see someone else's perspective and not just stand like firmly in our own, you know, perspective, our own viewpoint, our own side of the fence, but sort of like, I'm learning to kind of put myself on the other side of the fence and think about, well, what is life like over there? What would my priorities be if I'm on that side of the fence, Right. But it's, yeah, it's a process. But as hard as that can be with real people, it's a gift. It's always a gift. And it feels possible in a way that the kind of relating to the neighbor who isn't a person feels sometimes like, oh, I don't know if this is even possible. This is hard in a whole other way. I know. I know. Neighboring. (laughs) Neighboring. Right. (laughs) It's a verb. It's a verb. (laughs) Yeah, it's difficult. And I think we are all shaped in how we neighbor, how we parent, how we experience the world around us by our parents. And I think our fathers play a really big role. They're a compass for us in how we understand what courage or sacrifice look like. I remember, I think maybe this is another reason I love Mr. Fox so much is because my father really places a high premium on acts of courage 
and sacrifice, not even selflessness as much as sacrifice, like actual laying down of your life or your safety or your security. And he has always lived with a legacy of, you know, his forefathers were um, all farmers making a go out of nothing themselves. And he, I think, is really moved by that, by acts of courage. And so I grew up like being told lots of stories. Uh, My dad speaks Zulu fluently. I was born in Zulu land where he was working at the time as a doctor. And he was, you know, he had a chance after he graduated medical school to take a very prestigious surgical residency. And instead, he had a friend who was a few years ahead of him who had been spending his vacations in med school working on a really remote hospital in the middle of Zululand that was run by the Methodist Church. There was kind of missionaries there who had this hospital. And so Cliff would go and work there. And he kept telling my dad, it's just amazing. Like when you get to go and serve in these remote places where there aren't doctors, it's just very powerful experience. You recognize the value of medicine and how it isn't just about how much you further your career, but it's going into remote regions where they're never going to have access to a doctor. And as believers, they just felt like it was a calling. Medicine became a calling then. It wasn't just a career or a way to make money. And my dad often describes not only was the missionary hospital really remote, but they would go then, they would fly. They call them bush planes, these little sputtering planes that would fly into the more remote villages that you couldn't even drive to. And my dad would talk about getting so airsick. He said, I would be sitting in this bumpy plane And I would look out the window and just kind of focus on, and this is such an African story, although maybe you have these out in like Texas too, a giant anthill. Do you know what those look like? Those Oh, right. I've seen pictures of those. Yeah. Yeah. They're so massive. You can actually see them from the air. They're built out of hard red sand. And he would just try and focus on an anthill. And then when they passed it, he'd focus on the next one. Mm. And they'd (laughs) land in these remote villages and provide, you know, everything from dental care to vaccines to maternal health care. And, and he spent, he started spending all of his vacations there too. And then when he graduated medical school, the chief of surgery at the university, chief professor of surgery had asked my dad, what are you going to do? At the time, he had been studying under Dr. Chris Barnard, who did the first open heart surgery in the world. And my dad told him he was going to go to Zululand and work as a missionary doctor. And I mean, the guy could not understand what my father was doing. He just thought it was bizarre that he would choose (laughs) that instead. But they still talk about those days and how they were shaped by the courage of the people who lived and worked there, the courage of the the sisters, you know, the nurses who staffed those hospitals, pushing back against at the time malaria and tuberculosis were just hugely devastating in those parts of the world. But those are, that's the kind of courage. So when I say courage, I don't mean metaphorical. I don't mean, you know, being able to stand for a cause on Facebook. Like my dad is like, No, let's go into the deep wilds of Africa and live alongside the people there and see what we can do to assist them in what they are doing. And to this day, that is his definition of courage. My parents are very, very involved in the orphan care community in South Africa and are constantly going out to ask, what does it look like for us to serve? How can we serve you? What is that like? And then getting very dirty hands, you know. And so, Mr. Fox, I think 
you know, I don't think I recognized it as a child, but as an adult looking back, he really, he was my dad in many ways. And I'm going to read another scene. I, I've been trying to be careful not to give away kind of the exciting redemption that Mr. Fox is able to bring up. But this is at a point where they are now in a dire situation. They can't come up to hunt. The farmers are digging this giant hole to try to get to the foxes. And... um Mr. Fox is trying to figure out how to get them out of it. So, and I just remember, I think it was, you know, great storytelling builds this tension where you're waiting, you know, my kids will talk about this now, how great stories have really bad conflict, even children's stories, especially children's stories. I think Dahl was one of those people who talked about how he understood children understand that evil is a real thing in the world. And so there's this this really pivotal moment of family conflict where you don't know if they're going to make it. And it's really scary. And I remember going back and rereading the scene over and over again, where the dad actually is going to save the day when you're not sure if he can. So here it is. It says, Mr. Fox had not spoken for a long time. He had been sitting quite still, his eyes closed, not even hearing what the others were saying. Mrs. Fox knew that he was trying desperately to think of a way out. And now, as she looked at him, she saw him stir himself and get slowly to his feet. He looked back at his wife. There was a little spark of excitement dancing in his eyes. "'What is it, darling?' said Mrs. Fox quickly." I've just had a bit of an idea, Mr. Fox said carefully. What they cried, oh, Dad, what is it? Come on, said Mrs. Fox, tell us quickly. Well, said Mr. Fox, then he stopped and sighed and sadly shook his head. He sat down again. It's no good, he said. It won't work after all. Why not, Dad? Because it means more digging, and we aren't any of us strong enough for that after three days and nights without food. Yes, we are, Dad, cried the small foxes, jumping up and running to their father. We can do it. You see if we can't. So can you. Mr. Fox looked at the four small foxes and he smiled. What fine children I have, he thought. They are starving to death and they haven't had a drink for three days, but they are still undefeated. I must not let them down. I I suppose we could give it a try, he said. Let's go, Dad. Tell us what you want us to do. Slowly, Mrs. Fox got to her feet. She was suffering more than any of them from the lack of food and water. She was very weak. I'm so sorry, she said, but I don't think I'm going to be much help. You stay right where you are, my darling, said Mr. Fox. We can handle this by ourselves. And no. you're just like, <laughs> right? Like, aren't you just so moved by the courage of this moment? I love everything about this. I think I especially am drawn to stories where two things happen. There's a desperate need for help and courage, and parents trust their children to fill that need. And I love stories that show kids are more than we expect of them. And in this story, these kids are in every way, and their dad recognizes it. Oh, it's such a good story. Oh, I love this. I feel like now this just opens up a whole category for me I want to think about. And so maybe our listeners here as we close will have suggestions for us of good dad books, books about great fathers, which doesn't mean perfect. Clearly, <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox is not perfect. Um, but this is a really good dad 
story. And yeah, that makes me feel hungry for more great father stories. So if our listeners have any suggestions, I know they can tag us on social media. They can um, find us always in the Black Barn online, especially on Thursdays where um, we discuss that week's new podcast episode. And I would love to hear if our listeners, maybe we can come up with a list of, I know. of books. Um, yeah. But good books dad, about fatherhood. I'll add one more. Now I have to, now I'm like a listener who has to respond. And if you haven't read Danny, the champion of the world, which is also <sighs> by Roald Dahl, it might be the greatest father story of all time. It's so please, please, Chrissy, have you have you read it? I'm scared. Not yet, but I will. <laughs> no. <laughs> I promise. I promise. It's so maybe we'll have to make Christy read it and then she can do it as one of her choices because there you it, go. <laughs> actually, even more than Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'd love to see that one through your eyes because the father in that one is so astonishing. So It was fun to talk dads today. We don't often get to do that. I know. I love it. Thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. And thanks to my father who made such a difference in my garden this week. And thanks to your father who inspired your love of this book and um, who I know is is, uh, close to you as you continue to write and tell your stories as a writer. Here's to our fantastic dads. Yes. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 